You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Welcome, everybody, to FanRag Fantasy Baseball on the first day with real baseball, real exhibition baseball between real major league teams. Actually, yesterday we had a few exhibitions with some major league teams and some college teams. We'll talk about those two. Lots of questions like, are the Yankees Aaron on the side of too many right fielders? And which lefty might not be locking down a job in the rotation? All right, enough puns for now. Let's move on to our guest, FanRag's very own Jessica Kleinschmidt. Uh, Jessica, of course, writes for just about everybody these days, but uh, <laughs> Jess, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you doing? I was just talking, and, and you're pretty good luck for Aaron Judge. Are you not? Uh, on email, apparently, because I emailed you something you're, about him. Yes. And, about 2.3 seconds later, he hit a ball that's you know still hovering somewhere over the Gulf of Mexico. I think. Yeah, I mean, good for them. They, I mean, it just we're your good luck, and I think the Yankees fan, fans appreciate you at this point. Well, that's uh, I'll need to be doing more of that in the regular season when it counts, and and if he actually uh, plays every day, which is something uh, Jess that you and I are going to talk about. I mean, some really interesting stuff there already. Just a few hours into the Grapefruit League season, before we delve into all that, uh, Jess, as I mentioned, you're you're writing all over the place for FanRag and, and elsewhere. Um, and you've got a brand new podcast out on FanRag Sports. Um, <laughs> tell us about that. I think it involves uh, condiments and um, I don't know, a whole bunch of other the stuff. The important stuff. The important yeah. stuff in life, right? Like, so, yeah, it's called Moonshots, and I'm doing it um, with Alex Kalanji on, um, on FanRag. And we just decided, like, we love sports, obviously, but we know we kind of wanted to branch out to more than just the, the casual baseball, football fan, um, if you will. So we're doing everything from food, um, our, quote, dating lives and uh, dating life and all of that, and just kind of being entertaining and having fun with it. Because we're, we're very similar personalities, and Tommy Stokey was like, I have to get y'all on a podcast together. And, and we already had our first one, and it's, it was really, really good. And, you know, it's, like I said, we kind of want everybody beyond the casual sports fan to really uh, get into it. So sports, food love quote and I quote that but you know and all the all the fun stuff that the millennials and you know first world problem people have to deal with well I, I don't know if it was you just somebody <laughs> tweeted out a, a brief rundown of the show and it was like first segment <laughs> baseball second segment uh something about tinder <laughs> and then the third segment is bacon overrated I'm like oh what an awesome podcast so Right, because I think bacon's overrated. I think it's way overrated, and, and like, and he thought Thanksgiving food was overrated, and I was like, okay, so this could be like some really important issues in the world, you know, that we have to go over. So that's what we need right. to tackle. All right. Well, uh, if you want to listen to that, then uh, available where I, I would assume on FanRag, right? Uh, any, any place? Yeah, else? it's on. It's on. It's yeah, it's on FanRag Sports. Um, I always tweet it out, um, and it's all. On, it's on Facebook's um, the Facebook site of FanRag Sports as well. All right. Fantastic. And also, if you want to follow Jess on Twitter, which you should, it's uh, KleinschmidtJD. Is that right? At KleinschmidtJD? Yes, sir. Okay. Should be better prepared. I was just about to pull it up and then realized didn't have it right there in front of me. So uh, yay for my memory. 
So let's uh, <laughs> hit a f- <laughs> thank you. Let's uh, hit a few news items, both from uh, from games and and otherwise. Actually, most mostly uh, the the non game action, and we'll we'll get into that uh, a little bit later on. But uh, Kyle Schwarber is, uh, according to Joe Madden, the front runner to be the Cubs' leadoff hitter. I don't think it's a really big upset because he's a, a good on base hitter, and you certainly wouldn't expect Joe Madden to be uh, just beholden to having players up at the top of the lineup who are necessarily speedy. Right. Uh, and, and of course, there's a, a vacuum there with Dexter Fowler gone. But in 2015, Schwarber's rookie season, he did hit mostly in the second spot because Fowler was there. So mm-hmm. what do you think about this in terms of Schwarber's value up, down, the same, uh, moving from the second to the first spot, it looks like? Well, I think when it comes to him, I mean, he only has, what, eight career I think leadoff spots from something that I read. So it really depends on what somebody's looking for in their league. And I guess the question is, is he more or less trade bait in this scenario? So I don't know if somebody was really anticipating him being in a certain spot. I don't really know if he's the type of guy you kind of draft your whole entire lineup around. I mean, that's kind of depends on, you know, probably like a Cubs fan would do that, but it kind of depends on the mentality you're going towards that. But I don't know if, if you're moved up one spot, does that, make your trade bait value more or less i don't really know in this this case and you're talking about fantasy trade value right well i hope so okay well because you know the cup they have so many <laughs> not, not in real life they have oh, so much true. surplus <laughs> there it seems like i, think I, just I opened up a, i opened up a completely different dialogue that could be a totally different um different scenario but yeah i get both but in this in this scenario for yeah. fantasy i don't know if that would open open him up a little bit more for trade bait because i mean if you think about it you're mentally prepared for him to be in a certain type of spot it is only one one section but when you think of schwarber you're not really thinking of like an all-around five-tool player you know it's not right. necessarily that but then you remember if he's if, if he goes to the American League, it could be a totally different scenario. So that's kind of how I'm looking at it. But fantasy-wise, one bump up, I don't know if that's going to raise or you know lessen your trade value. I don't think it can help Schwarber, um, mm-hmm. at least in terms of production. Now, maybe in terms of trade value, not everybody necessarily thinks about these things, especially early on in the season. And you may have a notion that Schwarber has a lot of power, walks a lot, so can get on base even if he doesn't hit for a great average, which I don't expect that he will. Uh, mm-hmm. And then, uh, likewise, because of that power and being in that lineup, oh, he's going to drive in a lot of runs and, and score a lot of runs. I would expect that Schwarber will score often. But I think that moving up that one spot does a little bit of damage to his RBI potential. Mm-hmm. And maybe right. early on is a good time to test the trade waters with Schwarber because maybe uh, before the reality sets in of there being less uh, fewer RBIs, maybe uh, that's that's the time to to trade him what could be a slightly higher value yeah exactly i think that's where my mentality went like i wasn't obviously yeah. he's i think his value his, his value stayed the same but in regards to trading i think i couldn't tell if it made it worse or a better option yeah i mean it depends I on how you're constructing your lineup right yeah that's something to consider as well uh, i don't think it's a big impact either way but you look for value wherever you can find it and that that may be a place right. where you can do it now, Max Scherzer, uh, he had a long toss session long toss session on Wednesday that reportedly went very well, and he's now going to graduate mm-hmm. to throwing a bullpen. And, you know, any time that you hear about an injured pitcher throwing a bullpen, I just because of the way my mind works, I picture, pic, picture the pitcher picking up an entire bullpen and throwing it. And wow, that's n- picture the pitcher picking – okay, got, I got it, got it, got it. Yeah, that's so – yeah, and it, 
not not a good uh, not a good regimen for somebody coming back from injury to throw an entire bullpen. But that's that's yeah. what happens. So yeah, well, I mean, I, I know he's not ruled out for opening day. The last I checked, but then I hate when I hate that term. You know, and it's like, so he's not ruled out. What does that mean? And I know he's still in pain from what I've read. Um, and and he's got a grip issue with his fastball. That's yeah. not good news. In, I mean, I've never pitched in the majors, but if you're Max Scherzer and you're gripping a, your fastball and you're in pain, I don't know, not looking too great. But what can I say? Well, but do, does that influence you in your upcoming drafts? I think it would. I mean, I mean Max Scherzer, he's, he's the type of guy where, I mean, it's Max Scherzer and especially on the team he's on the scenario they're all in that alone, you know, adds the value. Anytime a pitcher gets any type of injury, and if it's this close to spring training um, or this part of spring training, it's hit or miss. You don't really know. They're not going to take any chances with these guys, especially a guy who's a studly pitcher like Max Scherzer. Um, so that would definitely be a question mark for me. And especially in a lot of leagues or, you know, obviously it depends on when he got injured. I'm going to look at that with a huge question mark, but, at the same time, I'm, I'm hearing two different stories. So I don't really know if, if that pain is super painful or if it's not, because I also hear that it, it should he should be fine. So to me, it's more or less you just got to kind of hope for the best for him and make sure that if you did pick him up that he does end up being healthy. And I think he'll come back from it no matter what. It just depends on when um, in the season that does occur. Well, you know, and it's a finger injury, which is something that I would probably – tend to to take less serious than a shoulder injury or an elbow injury. But just as a a bit of a cautionary tale, one of the other news items has to do with the Marlins rotation where Jeff Locke uh, got an MRI on his shoulder. But Mm -hmm. sort of a collateral issue related to that is who is going to make the Marlins rotation locks uh, in a in a competition with uh, Dan Straley and um, Jose Urania. It seems that Adam Conley is probably set for that rotation, but Conley and Locke mm-hmm. are, you know, both lefties and the Marlins as of right now, don't have a lefty for the bullpen. So right. if Locke is hurt, then perhaps that's maybe not good news for Conley. I can't imagine he'd go to the bullpen, but uh, you would think that the Marlins would need a lefty in there. And if Locke uh, does recover from this, and it's not a, a serious thing and he competes, then you know, then there's a question to then does Locke go to the bullpen or uh, do they send Straley or Rania and, and uh, what do they do for a lefty? So a lot of questions there in the Marlins, both the rotation and the bullpen. Now, as far as uh, Adam Conley's concerned, again, as of right now, it seems like his rotation status is, is pretty safe. He had a finger injury mm-hmm. in the second half right. of last year that shut him down for a period of time. And that perhaps in combination with some fatigue really led to a, a poor August in particular uh, after a, a very good first four months of the season. How do you feel about Conley going into this year? You know, I actually have a lot of confidence in him. And I think, I know when he was coming back from that injury, he was looking really good. And and that could be a factor of, you know, he was rested. He was, you know, concentrating on what could have, you know, helped him out, that kind of deal. Um, so I do I do remember that. Um, but this rotation is, it, like you mentioned, the, the whole lefty scenario. And I, and I feel like Locke is going to be okay. Um, all the reports I have said that it is a mild injury, which, I mean, I don't know if they're just trying to, 
seem a little bit less, you know, be more cautious this time of year. You don't have to play the guy every single day, obviously, kind of deal. Um, but when it comes to the entire rotation, there is way more questions than there are answers. Because like you did mention, we don't know who's going to be going to the bullpen. We don't know how serious this block injury is. Straley, love the guy to reach his pieces, but you never really know what you're getting with him. Um, he's either going to have an outstanding outing or you really regret anything involved with him. So I think there's a lot um, a lot more questions around this rotation than anything, but I do have a lot of um, confidence and calmly heading into the season. Now, I do too. I like him a lot. I think he's a good value, good sleeper, and if he can just build up his stamina so that he's doing better in the second half. I mean, the first half he was uh, he had a 3.38 ERA actually right through the end of July, almost a strikeout mm-hmm. per inning, 8.6 uh, strikeouts per inning to be exact. Some control issues, uh, but I think that he can probably improve on on that. And uh, he's really been sort of unheralded. And of all the Marlin starters, he's the one I would target first, even though his okay. status is certainly not as solid as that of um, Edinson Volquez or uh Chen or not Chen Wang. I'm sorry, Wayne yeah. Chen, Wayne Chen mm-hmm. uh, in that rotation. I agree. Yeah, yeah. So also, just one more other quick piece of Marlins news uh, before we head into break. Marcelo Zuna is dealing with a shoulder injury. Apparently, it is minor, mm-hmm. but he is going to be held out of Saturday's game, and uh, um, he's going to be eased back into the lineup. Sounds precautionary, but obviously, with somebody who is going pretty much in all standard mixed league drafts in the middle rounds. That is a situation that we all do need to watch. So as promised, when we come back from break, we're going to talk about some of the uh, exhibition action, both from yesterday and some of the early games from today. So stick around for that, for that. And we will be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior. I'm joined today by FanRag's Jessica Kleinschmidt. And we are very, very happy today because we got to watch a little bit of baseball before coming on the show. There are currently four games underway. In fact, the Reds and Giants just got underway. And already, Cincinnati's on the board. I don't know how. I'm just looking at a scoreboard here, but they're up to nothing. <laughs> <laughs> so good for you, Reds. Uh, maybe Billy Hamilton scored a run. I don't know. I, I uh, don't even remember who's in the lineup for the Reds, honestly. But Maybe, uh, maybe there's an intern running the scoreboard or something. Maybe or maybe that. Who knows? It's anything's possible. <laughs> But we got the uh, Orioles and Tigers, uh, the Mets and Red Sox, and Yankees and Phillies, which was a, a game that was streamed nationally on MLB TV and on Yes Network. I watched some of that. Jessa, uh, I got this mm-hmm. since you watched uh, some of that. And, uh, I did, yeah. Yeah. And, in fact, not too long before we went on air, Aaron Judge, the man with the Stanton, uh, Stanton-esque physique, hit a Stanton-esque shot. And... Uh, you know, that's uh, was uh, kind of a funny thing because the moments before that, I just emailed you saying, let's let's talk on the show today about Aaron Judge, because one of the things that they mentioned on the Yes broadcast is that he's in competition with Aaron Hicks. And so mm-hmm. far in the early going here in the fantasy industry, as far as I've been privy to, all the discussion has about, been about Judge. And for, I think, obvious reasons, not just, you know, the, right. the big slugger's physique and the big slugger's numbers, but uh, he's got the prospect upside, which Hicks had a few years ago, but he's been bouncing around with the Twins for a few seasons, uh, with the Yankees, not a very good season last year. 
But apparently Hicks has a legitimate shot at starting off the year as uh, the Yankees' right fielder. And Judge, of course, in his brief time in the majors last year, did have some issues, uh, particularly with making contact. So mm-hmm. do you care to uh, handicap this one or and or tell us uh, what your approach is to, to these two errands on draft day? I mean, I've been kind of obsessed with Aaron Judge since like midseason last year, just because um, I did a lot of rookie and prospect coverage. And Hicks Hicks would pop up every now and then. Obviously, like he had that really amazing throw that was like out of control. It was like 105 miles an hour when he threw. It sounds crazy like that. So he obviously has an arm, and he he's wonderful too. But if you look at the the attention situation, it has been on Judge, but it's been around all the baby Bronx bats, and that's because there's so many competitions. You know, Bird and Carter for first, Judge, and then there's you know Clint Frazier as well, and then there's uh, um, Austin just got injured too, so that like changed a lot of things as well. And if anything, I I honestly thought Aaron Judge was was going to start off in and still in AAA, and I think that had a lot to do with all the competition. And you mentioned he was struggling getting contact to so that alone that adds to it, but he's having a phenomenal spring training. This is before even the game happened today. Um, he was, you know, last year up for in triple a was going to be part of the home run derby in triple a. So he, I knew he had all kinds of power. Um, and I know J- Joe Girardi is obsessed with him. He's obsessed with the power that he has. So it kind of, you know, he's definitely a scenario that you could pop in one of your, one of your leagues, um, not kind of like a Yuan Mankata type of scenario. Like you're not exactly sure if he's going to get his uh, start. Mankata, I think, is definitely going to start in the minors, but Judge is, is a huge scenario. We don't really know. It's a, a scenario you do have to pay attention to. Um, and he just has that strength. Um, but I think he just needs a little bit more uh, played a little bit more played appearances when he did get brought up um, more of the attention was on Sanchez but him and Austin did have those killer few games so it obviously depends on um, how confident you are in but I really love the guy I, I I'm just a little bit biased towards it just because I have been watching him grow over the last couple of years um, so it kind of depends on uh, what you're looking at but don't be too surprised if he does get started in AAA as opposed to the bigs but spring training it could be he could show himself off and I could be completely lying right now so you never really know you're right. He's in, in the competition. He's not being ruled mm-hmm. out. So, uh, again, anything could happen here. But if you can take that bias, that love that you have for Aaron Judge, and just put it to the side mm-hmm. just for a minute. And let's assume, and in fact, you are, it sounds like, almost assuming that Hicks will win the role outright initially. Right. So if, if Judge is waiting in, in the wings, what do you see for Hicks? I mean, is there any way for him to survive the the oncoming tide that is Aaron Judge, or can Hicks himself maybe cement himself with that in that role with some good play? I, you know, I definitely think he could he could cement himself role himself himself in that role. Um, but like I mentioned, they, like they they they're aware of the competition, which is kind of great. They all kind of are. Greg Bird even talked about the Carter situation as well. So they're all you know scenarios but Hicks definitely wants to be the starter that's pretty you know open and he's even saying like that position is open it's not anybody's yet and that's what's kind of great about it and if anything we're lucky as fans we get to watch this competition unfold so that's going to be kind of you know wonderful as well but he's worried about um his left-handed swing um but, but and over the over the season he was you know working on some changes so I do remember that and I think he was um, worried about getting the ball deeper and seeing it longer and those kinds of scenarios I don't know what judge has been working on I'm assuming obviously making better contact with the ball um but Hicks you know had a pretty stellar year last year and you know obviously the Yankees had 
so much going on as far as storylines and competitions and all of that. But I'm always kind of a sucker for somebody who has more playing time in the bigs. And I think that's just natural. Um, and, you know, I'm definitely putting my bias aside because I totally love Aaron Judge. But in this scenario, and I guess it's a big question, I've been trying to ask scouts, like, if a, if a player who's younger is working his tail off, does that really compare to a veteran who's kind of taking it easy over spring training? I doubt that will happen in this scenario because there's a job opportunity involved, but I don't really know if that's going to highlight more towards the the manager, but like, Oh, he's working hard, but he also doesn't have a lot of major league experience and vice versa. So it really depends on the mentality of, of Girardi and, and everybody else in that, in that scenario. So that's a big question mark for me. I could easily see Hicks giving that starting role. He obviously has a lot more, um, you know, scenarios up in the majors. So that's definitely something that he has going for him. And I still think judge has a little bit more growth that he needs to do. Yeah. And then there's limited roster spots, of course, because you assume right. that Ellsbury and Gardner will be taking the other two outfield spots. So unless there, there's an injury to either one, which of course is entirely you know possible uh, there's, there's not really room for both or, you know, Matt holiday, maybe, you know, goes down because he's he's been injury prone uh, for much of the last mm-hmm. couple of seasons. So there, there's opportunities, perhaps, but nothing nothing guaranteed. But the thing I want to remind uh, myself and others about Hicks is that, as I, I alluded to earlier, he did have some prospect hype of his own that's kind of worn off as he's uh, been sort of slow to blossom in the major leagues. Now, chronologically, really in the the prime of his career. But when he, I always lump him together with Jackie Bradley because they came up sort of at the mm-hmm. same time, both with right. some promise for for good on base skills and a little bit of a power speed power speed combination. I could see that still happening for Hicks mm-hmm. uh, if this is a year where you know you said he worked on the left-handed swing. His splits against righties was actually much better than they were against lefties, which was kind of weird. But uh, you know maybe he he had so much focus on that that he allowed. Uh, other things to really be neglected. So I think that this could be, could be. a post-hype breakout year for Aaron Hicks. I want to oversell it because, again, there's limited opportunities for him with good prospects on the way, but uh, I wouldn't wouldn't completely write off Hicks. Now, let's go, uh, go, to, go to Queens from the Bronx. Actually, we're not doing either. We're just really traveling around Florida <laughs> yeah. at this point. But the Mets, uh, Michael Conforto, uh, also homered earlier today and also a crowded outfield situation there as well. So really sort of the same question for him as for Aaron Hicks, regardless of how good of a spring Conforto has, do you think that he's going to get enough playing time to matter this year? I mean, I guess it, it, it really depends, right? I mean, he's, uh, he's kind of taking a, a, a different approach. Um, he's kind of taking, they, they say, taking cues from Bruce, which I think is just so cute to just say. Um, but in, in, it's the same scenario, right? And, and that's what sucks about um, the outfield positions, especially in this, this scenario. I feel like there's so much going on and the Mets have a crazy mentality this time around. Um, they're really, they're, they were kind of concentrating on the pitching and they, you know, they came really close last year. And um, so there's a lot of situations with that, but I can't see Conforto, you know, have, you know, not putting his all into spring training, especially with who he's going to be competing with. 
You know, I mean, I know that ever the Reds are bummed to lose Jay Bruce. They really, you know, I mean, struggled with that. So to gain somebody like that is definitely something that they can uh, be paying attention to. But could you imagine going up against somebody like that? Any sort of competition is rough, but I mean, that's difficult as well. And um, Conforto himself was like, this is kind of an awkward situation. Um, but, you know, they're still, I guess, remaining friends from what I hear and all of that. But at the same time, like, that's that's rough for him. If anything, it will better him. You know, he's going to work so hard to try to get that starting role. If not, that's okay. Um, he's going to be hanging out with the 51s for a little bit or what have you, or maybe just, you know, figuring out what he needs to do. Either way, he's going to get major league playing time, but you're going up against some pretty tough competition out there. So I guess it just depends on how he feels, you know, going there, but we'll see how Bruce does as well. That's a huge, you know, scenario with him moving um, over, over there. So I don't know. It kind of depends on, I guess we'll have to wait and see, but I, I know he's going to work really, really hard. And even if he's in AAA for a little bit, it's a really good organization um, as far as their farm league goes. So mm-hmm. he'll be up within no time. I, I hope you're right. I think you're right, because I'm a big believer that the skills went out. And my guess is that Jay Bruce, he's supposed to take some balls at first base this spring. And mm-hmm. I think that could be the solution there. That would be at the expense of Lucas Duda. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, there has to be some way to make room for Conforto. I just think that the skills are just too good. Now, let's just take I'll a make quick a call. look. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, I'll make a call. I got it. Okay. Yeah, appreciate it. He'll appreciate it. No problem. <laughs> Let's uh, dial back to uh, Thursday's action. A few games uh, involving some college teams. The Phillies trotted out a uh, lineup, which is basically the, the future lineup, maybe a year or two from now. A lot of prospects. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had J.P. Crawford in there, Dylan Cousins. Um, Riss Hoskins was in the lineup, Rome- Roman Quinn who was yeah. also in the lineup today so, against the Yankees. Let's, let's focus on right. him because we could spend a whole segment talking about these guys. Uh, Roman Quinn, yeah. are you going to draft him in Roto this year? I love Roman Quinn. The guy is resilient. He's had so many injuries and just still, like, rakes. Like, I just love a guy who's like, yeah, you know, I probably should be, like, on my deathbed right now, but, you know, I'm still doing it. He has, like, a broken wrist, a ruptured Achilles, um, torn hip flexor, oblique injury. Like, everything you can imagine has happened to this guy. So I, I just love him, you know, in an, you know, in and of a nutshell, if he's going to, you know, continuously be, you know, resilient. So, um, yeah, he hit a bomb yesterday. Um, and I know he, he's one of those guys where he moved from um, an infield position to the outfield position, which is great. The guy is ridiculously athletic. And I know across the board, as far as scouting goes, he does really, really well. Um, so I think he's, you know, he's athletic and he's going to develop into a really great um, leadoff hitter. And I think he's just going to tear it up as far as getting on base. He's fast. I, I just love him so much. And he's got power too. He's quick. He's got power. He's, he's an all around great guy for me. I, I could, I could totally stash him somewhere in one of my leagues. Yeah, I would, at least for this year, I would really only count on the speed and, and maybe the batting average for Quinn. Uh, but that, that to me would be enough Probably not in a twelve-team league, but I in a fourteen, fifteen-team mm-hmm. roto league, yeah, I'd be, I'd be all over that. So, uh, well, there's actually some games we didn't get to, but uh, we're gonna look ahead anyway. When we come back from break, we're gonna take a, a look, a closer look at the Oakland A's and see which players might be good values for this coming fantasy season. So, stay tuned. You are listening to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. 
I'm your host, Al Melfior, and to, here with me today is Jessica Kleinschmidt, also from FanRag and numerous other places, and of the Moonshots podcast uh, coming to a uh, phone or some sort of podcast device near you. Yes. But it's yes. the best thing you'll ever hear. It's better than like the Hamilton soundtrack. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Jessica, we're going to talk about the A's in this section, the Oakland A's, and and I'm calling them the A's. And, and before we get into anything substantive and, and interesting, uh, this is something that bugs me because ever since I was a little kid, I mean, one of my very first baseball memories was watching the Oakland A's in the World Series against the Big Red Machine. Mm-hmm. And I don't even think I knew they were the athletics for maybe a year or two into my baseball fandom. That's and, normal. I mean, especially when you watch them play and they have an elephant as their their mascot how is that even athletic yeah i get it it's yeah well it never made that connection but well what's your because i know you have some affinity uh with the a's is that just a matter of geography uh being in in western nevada and that's the the closest market or uh your your work uh relationships or uh how did you become to be become whatever it is you are with the a's i don't know a fan or <laughs> expert or, really uh, <laughs> an expert yeah it's it's called being a fan like but also depressed at the same time um so like my i my first baseball game i ever had gone to that i don't remember i was i was a baby i went to an orioles game i was born in baltimore but we moved to the west coast and we randomly had these free tickets to the a's game it was like three and a half hours away so we're like well they're free let's go and it was it was too perfect for words al like i literally sat down some guy, it was uh, Eric Chavez hit a bomb. And I was young, so I don't remember, like, who it was. I remember looking at the, the program and saw Eric Chavez. That was the guy who hit it. And he, him and I shared a birthday. And the same, like, two minutes later, Milton Bradley made, like, a diving catch. And then, so I got to see, like, my first Sports Center top 10 play in person. Eric Chavez hit a bomb right when I sat down. And I discovered it was Moneyball year. So it was kind of everything that was like that I couldn't, you know, and then a, a really disgusting monster was born and I just kind of kept following the A's ever since. Um, I, it was like right, right when I started playing Little League too. So it was like all these baseball things I was falling in love with left and right. And yeah, so it's, it's relatively close. So if, I, if I'm desperate for an A's game, it's not too far of a drive for me. That's really cool. That was a, a cool time to get in on the ground floor. And you got to see Billy Bean's daughter play songs that hadn't even been written yet. So that's pretty cool. Exactly. Yeah, going for it over here. <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk about the 2017 A's, and we will call them the A's here. Uh, all right, we're not going to talk about Chris Davis, probably their most high-profile player, because we got a question on right. Twitter about him. We'll save that for our Twitter question segment coming up. But Ryan Healy probably getting as much uh, ink uh, as any A uh, in, the, in the media right now just because he's mm-hmm. coming off of this crazy good 2016 rookie season. Do you think that that's a fair indication of what uh, Healy can do over a full season? I, you know, I do. And I'm kind of like very much when you think about like, I'm excited for Marcus Stroman next year. I think his second half really kind of boosted him up to get ready for this season. And I think the same thing with Ryan Healy. And there's not going to be a lot of attention on the A's, you know, really at all. Obviously, you mentioned Chris Davis. That's certainly something people are going to pay attention to if he's going to match those 42 bombs. Um, but when it comes to Healy, you know, he was kind of a quiet star at the beginning. He got pulled up, I believe, in July. Didn't really get any good starting roles until August. So when that happened, it was kind of like, all right, well, it's not like the A's are going to be doing anything. So that was kind of that scenario. So 
beyond the fact that he did put up a good show and everybody was kind of like good for Healy. I remember um, in DFS talks on fan vice, everybody was like, all right, Healy's the real deal. And to hear like a big guy, like in the industry, actually give props to one of your favorite players. Like that's pretty, that's pretty exciting. So, you know, it is a small sample size though. And that of course is a redundant scenario, which is a big question mark for me. Um, but you know, his um, hard ball, con- hard ball contact is there. Um, his fly ball rate jumped big time and the change in his uh, swing path has, has caused some certain results. Um, so my thing is the, the, the results are there. They're good results, but they're seldom. There aren't a lot of them um, kind of deal, but you know, he hits the ball hard when he does hit a bomb. It's, it's not exactly going to be going over the fence, like to Mars, like if you assess that it's hits it or anything like that, but he, he hits the ball and we know he plays at, O.co Coliseum, and that's bad for if you're pitching or you're hitting, no matter what, you're screwed. So there's all quite a few elements going against him. Um, pitchers themselves, Dan Straley himself was like, I hate pitching at this park. And I was like, oh, the one that you play in? He's like, yeah, all right, cool, when he was with the A's. So that was fun. Um, but <laughs> it's, it's definitely something that you have to pay attention to in that aspect. But if you can dominate um, the field situation for him, I really think um, he's just going to have way more confidence heading into the season. I know a lot of fantasy players aren't really about the, the, the confidence factor, but I am. Um, and then obviously, you know, a little bit less stressed about them winning the AL West. Cause I don't really know what the scenario is with that is just going to play into it. So I think the really strong campaign he put up could easily slide into 2017 for him. And I'm going to say, I don't, and I feel like I'm really on uh, anti Ryan Healy Island here. I wish I had a better, you know, more, uh, You're way, way better put than that. that. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's you, you mentioned, but you mentioned the fly ball rate, and and I think as as an analyst, I, I want Ryan Healy to fit in my nice little box and pick a lane because okay, he had the the increase in the fly ball rate, and even at Odako Coliseum where he hit eight of his thirteen home runs, which unto itself seems improbable, but you know, he right. was able to achieve that. But then he hit three fifty two on balls in play. And those things typically don't go together unless there's a very high line drive rate and Healy's was below average, or if there's a very high hard contact rate and Healy's was right around average. And I don't see anything okay. from the minor league numbers to suggest that those things are going to change radically. PCL, I, don't, I don't really hang on to PCL numbers. I really can't do it. Well, and, and nor, should, nor should you. <laughs> no yeah, should you. Yeah. And that's, that's an even smaller sample. So <laughs> exactly. you know, may, maybe this is the real Ryan Healy, but I, I seem to be more pessimistic about him than just about anybody I know in the industry. And uh, that'll be an interesting one, at least for, for me to watch and see what happens. Now, Matt Joyce, I think, is also really interesting. Really, I think it's a great signing by the A's. He had a 375 Woba with the Pirates last year in a limited role. But for outfielders that had at least 200 plate appearances, only eight players had a higher WOBA. So he had a great season, but in a limited role. But it's not like this isn't somebody who hasn't played fairly regularly before. I mean, usually in a platoon situation, and I'm sure that'll be the case again for Joyce. But even if uh, he largely is platooning, he'll be getting those at bats against right-handed pitchers. How do you like Matt Joyce in fantasy? I mean, I don't hate him, but my thing is, is the whole ace scenario and he's got years on him. And I know like that kind of, he's in the point of his career where he'll 
landing on the A's is kind of where you go to die. And I hate saying that. Do you agree with me on that? Or do you think he's still going to keep going? Didn't, didn't work that way for Chris Davis. So I'm going to say no. Well, that's true. That's true. Okay. 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 I, I respect or that. Or Josh, Josh Reddick yeah. coming from the Red Sox. Well, that's true. That's true. But he didn't have eight years, you know. Well, did right. he? No, he didn't. That's, no, yeah. no, he had so, I mean, I guess. It, yeah. So it kind of depends on how, uh, how you look at that. But, um, you know, I think hmm, he's, I don't know. He's really a big question mark for me, and I think he's he's honestly look, he looked at one of the outfielders that people are targeting. Um, not super hyped up as far as the A's go. There's a few guys that but he, I guess you can consider him somebody that people aren't really going to be jumping on. Um, he does okay, you know, against righties, um, but his walk his walk rate is very well is very good, and I think that's something that people need to need to pay attention to. Uh, Twelve homers um, in and all that stuff, but I don't know. He's just he's weird for me. I obviously when you hear me talking about, it, I'm like I don't know. Like it's so it's kind of weird for me as far as when he goes to this park. I don't know how he's going to do being used to how he did with at PNC. So I don't really know how he's going to factor at O.co or just with the team in general. Yeah, I and mean, he's played the bulk of his career, Joyce, uh, in pitcher parks and put up pretty mm-hmm. good power numbers. That's really been the one thing that you've been able to rely on from Joyce. So I think he'll have enough playing time to maybe not factor into a 12 team league, but just about anything deeper. Uh, I like him a lot and he may, may surprise this and, and be good enough to play in a 12 team league. If he can carry over what he did last season, let's move on to pitching here. And uh, I just think that this rotation is fascinating. Now on the one hand, you got, uh, you got Sonny Gray coming off of a, a very disappointing season and one that uh, included some injuries. And then on the other hand, you've got some young pitchers, Sean Manaya, Jarrell Cotton, and probably I would think Andrew Triggs, although he's having to compete for a rotation spot, who are very much on the upswing. So real quickly, what do you uh, see for Gray and then for the three younger uh, pitchers in the rotation? I actually have a random question. Um, so I was covering um, spring training last year, and um, Sean Manaya was pitching to Bruce Maxwell as his catcher. Bruce Maxwell was referring to Sean Manaya as kind of like Randy Johnson. Hmm. Okay. What do you think about that? Do you think that's even like normal? I, I don't think it's crazy. I mean, he is left-handed. Okay. <laughs> and he does get a lot okay, of strikeouts. Well, there, there it is. There it uh, is. You know, I don't think he's uh, quite as dominant and will be quite as dominant. I think it's maybe a little bit of hyperbole, but it's not It's not totally crazy. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously when it comes to Sonny Gray, that's the big question mark. Um, but his scenario is, is like he has no choice but to kind of come back. So he was on, you know, a lot of trade rumor radar, him and Rich Hill, and then until that kind of happened, and Sonny Gray kind of went um, bad. He had those multiple stints on the disabled list, and he was limited to just, you know, a few innings of work, and that kind of made me nervous. And it really bums me out because he was at one point just, like, up for a – he was up for Cy Young Award um, talks, and then all of a sudden all of this stuff happened. So he was ranked at one point as a top-20 pitcher, um, depending on what site you're looking on, um, and, you know, because he was behind. And guys like Dallas Keuchel and even that kind of, you know, scenario. But he just had a lot of bad luck 
um, in 2016. Um, and so it kind of seems like that scenario was really rough for him. But in this time around, I just think he's kind of the pressure's a little bit off of him this time around um, because of the fact that there's no more trade rumors, really. He kind of really got resigned. Um, he's got a really a strong-ish bullpen behind him. I think he's not too worried about that. You did mention a really interesting um, rotation. There's a lot of young guys that um, are really eager to get up there. Um, I didn't have a chance to cover a lot of them um, when they were at the Sounds because I don't think they've actually came into town. So that's something um, that I'm not 100% sure for. He does throw – he does get a lot of ground balls hit off of him, which is something to to be said. Um, I don't really know if that has a lot to do with the ballpark factor in, in and of itself, but he has that really great reputation of getting those ground balls 50% of the time. Um, so I'm not really sure if that would – bike and bombs. It really depends on how you look at it. Um, but the sky's definitely the limit for him. He has to have a, a, a bounce back here. I know there's a lot of a lot of pressure on him, um, especially. So it'll be interesting to see what he does. You did mention um, Manea and, and all I really know about him is the fact that, you know, he obviously was compared to, to Johnson. He's young, but he's scrappy and he's, you know, willing to work. Um, Fantasy-wise, it kind of makes me nervous. Um, but same thing with Sonny Gray, too. So the whole A's rotation, I'm not really too excited about. And I hate saying that, you know, being kind of an A's fan. Um, but the rotation is definitely something that I'm kind of staying away from, to be honest. Ah, huh, okay. Well, it's a little bit counter to what I've seen in some drafts. I actually like to talk just mm-hmm. a little bit more about the A's, but we do have to go on go to break. So we'll talk a little bit more A's pitching, a little bit Chris Davis. A little bit of a few other things. So we will be right back. Welcome back to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. This is the home stretch. It may be the first day of real legitimate spring training games, but on this show, we're already in the home stretch. And joining me for that is Jessica Kleinschmidt of FanRag Sports. And Jessica, we've got some Twitter questions to get to, but I do want to just discuss the A's a little bit more from our previous segment mm-hmm. because we talked about the rotation. We talked about some interesting hitters in the lineup, but uh, we didn't talk about the closer situation. And I think that that's, mm-hmm. this is really almost a, from top to bottom, a really interesting team to watch this spring. And so you have the incumbent Ryan Madsen, but he's going to have to compete against uh, Santiago Casilla coming over from the Giants, a little Bay Area meetup here. Uh, do you see a? Do you feel like one's a, a prohibitive favorite here over the other? I'm kind of going more towards Casilla, and I think that's just because I've over the last um, couple of seasons, I really have liked how his weirdly how his stuff has been fluctuating as far as his strikeout totals um, and his walks. Um, and he did have a really rough time, you know, in early September, compounded or uh, with the there were some situations with the Giants. I knew that that was a, a scenario. So I knew Bruce Bochy had to make a change in regards to that. Um, but he, you know, had a pretty respectable rest of the season. I just love watching him play. And I think like he could really do well on that team. I'm not taking anything away from Madsen. I'm just kind of obviously going a little bit more towards uh, Casilla, but things can change. And I really think that, you know, him and, and Madsen are definitely going to have a lot of, of competition between the both of them. Um, but it still seems like his values is there. And, um, and it just kind of depends on if he's able to continue these, these numbers through the season um, and, and all that. But I mean, he's, he's shown really good promise. And, um, and I think that, 
he's got what it takes to really help that that starting rotation and, and everything like that. And that's one thing that I know the A's were looking for was to strengthen their bullpen. And I think this is definitely a good start. Well, yeah, it definitely gives them more depth, and they still have Sean Doolittle and Ryan Dahl, so it's, it's mm-hmm. a good deep bullpen. I actually prefer either Doolittle or Dahl. And I think over the time, it's a long season, and some teams do go through two, three closers in the season. I think they could go through both Madsen and Casilla and then wind up settling on somebody else because, like you said, Casilla's really been up and down, both in terms of his strikeout rate and his general effectiveness. Madsen seems to be in decline as of now, and I don't think they would have brought Casilla in if they weren't pretty open to him winning the job. So if I had to pick one, I'd pick Casilla, but I, but I won't likely be drafting him. So I won't likely be drafting mm-hmm. either of them because there are other options that they can go to. Uh, now let's go right. to Chris Davis, uh, promising that. And we got a Twitter question from CJ Kaltenbach at the Siege DFS. <laughs> and uh, he asks, what level of God status is Chris Davis. I'm more accustomed to answering these questions in terms of tiers or number one, number two, number three outfielder. I'm going to leave the okay. God status question to you. I, I'm really kind of at a loss there. I mean, he's I, he was kind of trolling me because he makes this joke <laughs> that like I'll literally use any excuse to talk about the A's, whether it's positive or negative, constructive criticism kind of deal. And um, I, I've been writing about him a lot recently, and I think um, I'm not – a type of girl be like, oh, there's one player that's going to carry this team. I don't think that's a scenario at all. But I really love the the offseason um, stuff that Chris Davis has been working on. He actually just stayed in Oakland randomly for like during the offseason to really get a feel for the city. And um, and I really like re- respect that a lot. And obviously, you know, when it came to his home runs, he last year he was, you know, the, at the top. The only thing that's weird is, I mean, I know a lot of people aren't obsessed with batting average, but it, it just weirds me out that he, he just didn't have a high batting average, but he was still hitting bombs um but he has that power so it's definitely something that people are paying attention to that the last three seasons when you're looking at his numbers it just looks kind of funky so he does he performs below average but um in pretty much all of the hitting you know scenarios and so without those home runs I think he would just be an average outfielder um so that's just kind of where, where that is and I mean I don't really know as far as being a god goes but I definitely know that he's He's certainly excited for the season, um, and he'll be hitting, you know, hopefully in the middle of the lineup. I don't know if they're going to bump him up as far as, like, the power spot or anything else, but it's it's, it's weird because when it comes to a fantasy perspective, I don't know because he's got the power. He's definitely going to put up numbers. DFS-wise, I love him, um, but beyond that, it's kind of like he's – I don't really know what his ceiling could be. There's a lot of pressure on him. He hit all those home runs, but I don't really know. I don't. I just think beyond those home runs, he would just be an average outfielder. I definitely don't look him as a god, but I'm really excited to see what he does. Um, what he does this this season. So there's god status, and then just below that is an average outfielder. So uh, yeah, yeah, you're. That's how. That's literally how I am. I'm like either you really <laughs> impress me, or like you're just one of the, the one of the others. That's literally me to a T. Al. I'm not even kidding. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> well, I, I'm going to go to a, a classification scheme I'm more comfortable with. I've got uh, Davis ranked as uh, a 27th among outfielders. So that's a high-end number three outfielder. And it's really not that different, Jessica, from what you were saying, that, yeah, he's going to disappoint you batting average. He's established that. The power's legit. I mean, he put up pretty right. much a, almost an identical slash line to what he did in Milwaukee. So contrary to the idea, which I get that if you go play at O.co, that, you know, that's, 
you know, your, your, your bat's going to die there. Your fly balls are going to die there. But he just kept doing what he did remarkable. And the power is enough, along with some RBI production. Uh, that's going to be enough, right. I think, to, to elevate him to the, the top 30 among outfielders, which is, you know, nothing, nothing to sneeze at. So nothing let's go to, to be more, upset more. about, Chris Davis. Nothing to be upset about. That is absolutely right. So, well, we've got a more kind of uh, strategic question here from J-Rod, at 80 underscore J-Rod on Twitter. Please mm-hmm. advise drafting pitchers in a three-reliever, three-starter, four-pitcher league. So just uh, four slots dedicated to any kind of pitcher in a head-to-head categories league with quality starts. He said, ratios killed me last year. So that suggests to me that J-Rod is leaning towards going reliever-heavy. I would probably take at most a six-four split here, six starters, four relievers, because mm-hmm. I just I, I know relievers generally are going to give you better ratios, but there's also a lot more with the smaller samples, a lot more uh, fluctuation. With the, I'd rather go with what I know and right. build up the innings and the counting stats and uh, quality starts and go at no fewer than six starters. Uh, how about you, Jess? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, no, I agree. I mean, and I was kind of excited for your answer, too. You're like, I was like, hmm, I wonder what Al's going to say with this. And I really like how the reliever situation was kind of like the second baseman situation as far as that goes, um, as far as last season goes. Like, the relievers were like the orange is the new black kind of scenario. The relievers were the new guys that were kind of putting, you know, up some some great scenarios. Like that 6-4 split for sure. Um, but I was honestly more curious about your answer because I was like, I'm going to steal this guy's answer and use it towards my scenario. So thanks, thanks J-Rod80. That's great. Yeah, very, very efficient. All right, we're, we got time for one last question. Let's just uh, limit ourselves to one name here from Patrick, uh, at Patrick underscore J underscore 27. Which player with an ADP above 150 has the best chance to break out this year and become a top 50 player? Uh, or no, I'm sorry, he says in 2018. Yikes. I, I did oh, not read this, so okay. I'm not really uh, that well prepared. I'll go, you know, I'll go ahead with my answer 10, anyway. 17? Yeah, I'm going to know your answer is all right, I'm going to say Tim Anderson, actually very similar sort of uh, makeup uh, statistically to, to Jonathan VR. That's my answer. You got one name to throw out just because we're almost out of time. Um, I was mentally prepared for 17 as well, so I was going to go Kyle Seeger. And I know uh, we talked about my underrated players, and you were like, about Kyle, but, you know. I think Kyle's going in the, the top 150, yeah. but uh, we'll, we'll take it. So uh, we'll just... <laughs> Jess, thanks so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. Uh, you can find her work at FanRag and elsewhere. I am your host, Al Melchior, and uh, we will be back on Sunday. And just a quick programming note, we will uh, no longer be on Wednesdays. We'll be on going forward on Thursdays. So we will see you then. Have a great one, everybody. <laughs>